We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's mailbag time, Ryan. And Scott Yerbit kicks us off and he says, what do you think is the greatest and weakest strength currently for the offense? We'll talk about the weakness, Scott, more tomorrow. But Ryan, just well, kind of I what think you think the, the, the greatest strength is for the offense. I'm, I'm kind of looking at this question, though, Brian. Is Scott asking what the – like the so if we, if we were talking about the strengths that we talked about today mm-hmm. – which is the one that maybe we're most unsure about? That's what I'm taking yeah, out of it. Go for it. Then answer it that way. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. I I would say for me, Scott, it's it's a tough question, actually. So I don't want to answer it that way. So I'm going to answer it the way that you asked me originally. So the greatest strength of this team, I believe, is going to be the offensive line when it's all said and done. I think by the end of the year, you are going to see an incredibly improved offensive line. I think that Blake Fisher and Joe Otter are going to be budding stars at that point potentially i think that we're going to have it's uh just an overall an overhaul at the position from a just productive production perspective so i think that coach he's is going to work a lot of magic as somebody talked about it in the the comment before right brian it's like 2011 to 2012 in coach he's first year the dramatic improvement that's what i see with this this unit i think there's going to be dramatic dramatic improvement on the offensive line this year I will answer the question the way that we thought he he answered it. The greatest strength I believe this year will be the offensive line, not Michael Mayer, because I'm looking at it as an entire depth chart. The tight end has group as a whole has more questions to answer, which we'll get into tomorrow. I'm much more confident as a unit in the offensive line, then tight end, then running back. It would be that. And I'm going to not put athleticism in there because that kind of bleeds through all of them. It's a little bit of a different, different animal, but that's how I would grade the strengths. I, and, I, and the reason I look at run, running back last is even though I think running back could end up being the most dynamic group on the team, it, it comes down to there are still more question marks for me, just from a pure health standpoint. Can Chris Tyree play a whole season? Look, we haven't seen Audrick Estime carry the ball more than seven times. Is Logan, how healthy is Logan Diggs going to be? And I always get nervous when a running back sprains his ankle. I'm like, just give him time and he'll be fine, right? ACLs now, just let him heal and he'll be fine. When you start talking about shoulders, that's when I'm always get a little bit tricky and a little bit nervous. So that's why that's and then Jabron Payne is his, his the issues he's had. Jadarian Price is already out for the year. 
that's the reason I would put running back last, even though I love the talent. Just there's already some some big question marks that exist there from a health standpoint that that make it a little bit more a little bit more shaky. So I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Uh, John A1 has a comment. IB staff, you guys are great. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for that, buddy. Mm-hmm. John also has a question. Can and should the offensive line be the strength of the offense once again, or can the torch be passed to the quarterback with an O-line playing at the he stand standard? I mean, I, I don't know if I, I – John, I don't know if I subscribe to the torch being passed, right? Like you need all the levels of the team to be really good to be as successful – for the most part, you need them to be good, solid units, at least to be a successful football team. And you need some to be exemplary. Right. So I think I expect the offensive line to be the strength of the team. So to the first part of your mm-hmm. question, if Notre Dame is able to get to an, and so if Notre Dame's offensive line is playing at a high level and the quarterback is still the best part of your offense, then that's when you're playing at a championship level, as long as the defense is a good, solid, a good unit as well. Right. So I think that quarterback can be the difference maker, but I do ultimately think that offensive line is going to be the strength of the unit in 2022. Now, 2023, I, I think that Tyler Buckner's going to have a great year, but I think the year that we see the best of Tyler Buckner is probably going to be the junior year, in my opinion. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, I would hope he gets better. I hope <laughs> no, he doesn't top out as yeah, a sophomore. Right? Yeah, exactly. I hope not. I hope not. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next question is from Sean Kane. How does Notre Dame's strength on offense match up with the defensive strength of teams on the schedule? This is an interesting question. So, like, it'd be kind of – so if we're going to talk about – a lot of what we talk about today is offensive line, tight ends, running backs, which means Mm -hmm. how we're opposing teams in the front seven. How do they handle that? And and when I look at it, Ryan, I think that's another reason why I'm a little bit more optimistic about this – this offense this year because I don't see a lot of great defenses on the schedule. There's a lot of real the D. I'll put it, the Notre Dame defense is going to get tested more this year from top groups than than I believe the Notre Dame offense will. At least from what we see coming into the season on paper. I don't disagree with that because I mean I'm looking through the schedule now and it's like we know Clemson has it like a tremendous front seven for instance mm-hmm. right and they're always going to have some talent in the secondary it never fails. But outside of that, Brian, I mean. Ohio State has some names, but if we're working from what we know, right, tangibly, kind of like what we're doing in this exercise, Ohio State was not a great defense last year. Their their front seven was not a great team. 
BYU, I think, has a couple nice players like Tyler Beatty at defensive end and Peyton Wilgar at, at linebacker. Like, they're good players. But even that, it's like you're talking about two players out of seven front seven players right at that point. So I think it matches up well to your to your question, Sean. I think that when you're going to go against Clemson, your offensive line is going to get tested, right? The running backs are going to get tested. You, tight end is going to get tested because they are built from the inside out. There's no doubt about it. But to Brian's point, across the board, I think that Notre Dame is going to have a lot of advantages for where their strengths are offensively. Ohio State's the interesting one for me, Ryan, because mm-hmm. there is talent in the front seven, more so in the front four. It's a lot the of talent. Yeah. Linebacker is still a talent question mark for me. I just don't think it's great. Mm-hmm. However, if the D-line plays to its potential, there's enough talent at linebacker for it to still be a good group. Right. Kind of like Notre Dame's linebacking core last year. It wasn't great. It wasn't loaded with like great future top first two round picks, especially once Maris went hurt, went, went mm-hmm. down. So it really comes down to that unit. How good can that unit be? And and honestly, this is going to sound crazy. And I, and I know the Ohio State fans aren't going to like this, but I actually don't think the D line has performed great in the last really four or five years. Now, they have had some great players. Chase Young was a stud, but Chase Young was also a little bit inconsistent, and a lot of it to me had to do with he was just kind of better than everybody else against him. He wasn't necessarily – I don't know if I'd say he necessarily like was incredibly well-schemed or coached. Same thing with the Bosas. They kind of showed up as stars already. I have seen a lot of highly ranked defensive linemen go to Ohio State in recent seasons and not really get better. Tyreek Smith is a perfect example. I mean, that is a really talented, physically gifted kid that just, he got older and stronger, but he never got better. And, you know, the person responsible for that is still there. Now, was that a scheme problem or was that a coaching problem? Those are questions for me, right? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, obviously they've had some great talent on the D line, but I would never say like even the 19 Chase Young O-line, which was the last time Ohio State had a well, actually was that 18 that he was Hathley was there. He was there in 18, right? He was the or 19, right? He was the defensive coordinator 19. in 2019. Yep. yep. Like they had a great defense that year, and and that was it. But like the D line, when I look at the D line, I don't think like the D line was what I'm looking at, like Clemson being this year. They right. had a guy in Chase Young that was better than anybody else Clemson's gonna have, which is saying a lot when you consider how good the guys Clemson is. Chase Young was a a, a generational talent but as a unit they weren't necessarily like this dominant group in my that's opinion fair. that's fair and yeah. and that's why you know like when you got to the game against clemson clemson was kind of able to take chase out of the game a little in the second half which then let trevor kind of take the game over because there was nobody else besides chase who could kind of step up and say hey i got you they want to take mm-hmm. him take you out of the game i got you and and so either I, I just am curious to see if the talent can become it but if they play to their talent level that's going to be a battle between the Notre Dame strengths and Clemson strength and it's going to make that a it's, much more interesting game it's been especially consistent across the interior defensive line for Ohio State as far as like not really developing that well because mm-hmm. I mean I know you mentioned like Tyreek Smith wasn't developed properly we've talked about Zach Harrison a couple of times but even like Devon Hamilton who was a good player his last year at Ohio State why did it take him so long to become that player? Haskell Garrett, again, took so long to become who he was. We're, they're looking at a defensive line of 
Teron Vincent and Jerron Cage, who were both. I mean, Teron Vincent was a former five star. Am I? Right. Am I? Am I and he's been there? he's been banged up a lot. That you know, so sure. like that's one of like okay, is that because of injuries or like you said, has he just not been not been developed? Yeah. Enough? But I mean, if you would have told me five years ago or six years ago that in five years your def- starting defensive tackles for Ohio State would be Teron Vincent and Jerron Cage, and there's a lot of question marks around it, I'd be like, really? Like they were mm-hmm. both very touted right. players, you know, one exceptionally touted. So I, I, I do think there has been some underdevelopment for some players. I, I definitely agree with that. I would not push back against that at all. Right. So we're going to find out if that changes now with a new sort, even though the D line coach is the same, mm-hmm. does that change with the new coaching staff in place? So that's going to make ma- that. Cause, ma- Cause maybe to your point, I mean, maybe it's a scheme thing, right? Maybe, maybe not it's not Larry Johnson, right. right? They're asking to do this. And when really this kid should be doing that. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's what we're trying to be, be fair about it is there could be reasons for it. And now the new coach is going to come in and put these guys in position to be successful. And, you know, we'll find out if that's, we'll find out if that's true or not. Yep. USMA. Are you guys willing to share your thoughts on a certain platform that appears to be determined to use Keely as clickbait? I had to start this one because look, I, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say this. Did you hear my rant yesterday before you started? Uh, I, I I didn't. I didn't. Okay. I had yeah. I stepped away at that point in time. Uh, here here I'm not going to go back and look at it now. I I have very little respect for how certain people are going about their business. And when I mean people, I'm referring to the national folks. Somebody got really in their feelings yesterday because I basically said on three's rankings are garbage. They started defending like Mike Singer and the people at Bloomberg Illustrated. I was like, last I checked, Mike Singer doesn't have anything to do with rankings on three. Last I checked, Patrick Engel and those guys at Bloomgold weren't doing rankings. It has nothing to do with the Notre Dame sites. It's the national coverage. So keep that keep that in mind. But I think on three, in my opinion, has is putting more emphasis on basically like shock jock type of coverage in an attempt to build a following they're offering cheap memberships for a year. They'll boost it up after a year and hoping that they'll get you on. They're doing clickbait stuff and hopes that they'll get you on to attract you to their site so they can pay back their investors. That's what I think that they're doing. That's my opinion. And, and the things that they're doing, I think are irresponsible and disappointing. And they're also trying to out 24, seven, 24, seven. Why are they doing that? Because the guy that founded 24, seven is doing the same thing at, at on three, literally the same guy founded rivals 24, seven and on three to the point now where it's like the rankings are just a hot mess. The, the, the like how many times, like they're writing stories about recruits tweeting that they're going to flip someone. Like, how was that news? Like it's absurd. And it's like, now they're, it's like their new cause celeb. Well, why are they always tweeting this stuff about Keon Keeley? Because people click on it because you all who get mad about it will click on it. That's why they do it. And make right? another, make another post right. on the, why uh, does the guy that I, the guy that covers that school up North that I can't stand, why does he keep writing the garbage that he writes? Because people read it and that's what they care about. They care about that much more in my opinion than, doing an honest job. That's my view of it. And, and I know some people that I trust and respect who think that there also have some people in those networks that are, I have no proof of this. So this is again, just what I'm sharing and what I've heard that there's some people that are trying to manipulate the news as opposed to reporting on it. And I have zero respect for that. So we're going to see how this whole recruiting process plays out for some guys, but it's going to be, 
if things play out how I'm told they're going to play out, I'm going to have some very, very interesting conversations and remarks to make come December and February. So it's, um, it's, it's yeah. becoming, it's exhausting. It honestly yeah. is. And it's not anybody in this chat. It's not even the board at all. Like literally. Well, I it is because it. people keep coming back with that stuff and we keep sure. having to sure. respond to it over and over and over. My, again. My frustration even more, I would say, is I, I posted on Twitter last night, like I am getting out of my DMs for a while and I'm not answering right. anybody. I'm not doing that. And it wasn't because I had Notre Dame fans coming to me with like, oh, the Keon Keeley stuff. It's Alabama fans are now like messaging me like, wow, Notre Dame is going to like, and it's right. just so annoying. Man. And have you it's... seen Ryan too, if you actually pay close attention, how yeah. many Notre Dame fans are in Keon Keeley's mom's mentions. And when you go look at their profiles, they've started their accounts in July of 2022. I haven't seen that. No. Well, who are they? Right. You know, I doubt that's Notre Dame fans. They don't follow any of the Notre Dame sites, but they're Notre Dame fans that just started Twitter in July of 2022. Like who's just now jumping on Twitter and diving right into recruiting, (laughs) tweeting at kids' moms. It's a fake account. It's somebody trying to stir up problems. And that stuff feeds into that crap that it, that those reports then lead to people doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's irresponsible. I think it's shameful, but it's also very indicative of what news has become in, in, in all spectrums. And that's why, to be honest with you, I mean, that's why I started Irish breakdown. I didn't want to be part of that anymore. we're going to sink or swim based on what I believe in. Ryan jumped on board because he believes in what I believe in. And that is we are going to be wrong. Sometimes we're going to be wrong with our predictions until we give you is going to turn out to not pan out. But what you're always going to get from us, whether we're right or wrong is honesty. We're always going to tell you what we hear. And if we hear bad things, we'll tell you bad things. We will always fight to try to get as many sources as we can. When I put the stuff, the big intel piece out this weekend, Ryan, you know, that wasn't just one one final conversation allowed me to kind of have enough to go with it, but it all led to this conversation, that source, this source, this source that we've tried to vet as much as we can, people that have proven to be accurate. And we're going to try to have at least two to three different sources on everything that we put out. And, and so it's it's disappointing that that's not the way it's going to be, but that's also why we're starting the new college football channel. It's why you know we're doing things the way we're doing. I can't control what other people do. You can't all can't control what other people do. You can only control what you consume. And if you don't, if people would stop clicking on clickbait, guess what? Clickbait no longer has value because it's all about ad revenue. And you know, stop stop clicking on it. Stop talking about it. And then they lose their power. They lose their sway. And I know other people will. That's fine. You can only control what you can control. I can only control what happens at Irish Breakdown. I can't control things that Notre Dame does. I can't control what On3 and 247 do or Rivals or ESPN. But I can control what I do. And and Ryan can control what he does. And we're going to always bring you the most accurate stuff we can. We'll be wrong. But you will never, ever. And this, I went off on somebody the other day on our site that we were talking about Austin Nova said, and they're like, well, why are you saying now that you think it's going to be Baylor as if like that, you know, like you're, you know, you're, you're just saying that now to, because of us. So I, okay. I said this on July, this, I said this on July, this, you're like, you can question whether I'm right or wrong, but don't question whether or not I'm being honest. And if right. we're, if we're wrong on something, I'll say I was wrong. I don't look back and say, Oh, you know what? I actually did like Kyron Williams more than 
than I did. And I've unpublished the story, the ranking where I had him in the 20s in that class. I've unpublished that so no one can see it. Oh, I actually liked No, I, I was wrong on Kyron Williams. I thought he was not. I thought he was going to be just an okay player. He turned out to be a way better player. I'm okay doing that because that was my honest opinion. And if I give you an honest opinion, I'm okay being wrong. And then you'll determine if I'm right enough for you to be willing to spend money or spend time on our site. That's up to you. But you're always going to get our honest opinion. And, and I hope that that's one of the things that Ryan likes about being here because there's no pressure ever. And Ryan, correct me. For, you, you have the floor to correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> there's never been pressure. Hey, Ryan, put this out because it's going to get a lot of clicks. Oh, no, that's never happened. Yeah, no, it's not happening. I will say this, Brian, speaking of clickbait, can we all please, I, I, I'm going to ask for one thing here. Can we stop with the crystal ball stuff, please? They put a crystal ball in the key on Keeley flipping Alabama before he made the trip to Alabama. Right. Let's be honest. It, well, there was I, a there I was know a, that. There was an on three projection for Richard Young to go to Oregon the day he committed to Alabama. I'm just saying. You, you know, you know what else is a prediction on Keon Keeley's is that he was going to flip to Florida. Right. right. Do you remember that one? Do you remember oh, when he was going to flip to Florida? Remember when he kept getting all the stuff about Ohio State? Oh, he's going to flip to Ohio State. Uh, yeah. Just so right. All, all I have to say about it, and we put we put intel on the board about this, right? Our sources are telling us that we're not as worried as a lot of other people right. are, and that's where we'll keep it at for now. And on one of those kids, I'm extremely confident on that. Another one, I am, I do, and we'll we'll, if, we'll talk about this on the board. But there's another one. I, I'm a little bit more concerned about that, even though this is what we're being told. Sometimes there's a little bit too much smoke, but when we hear it, we'll tell it to you. But what I promise you, I'm not going to do is say something that then then later have to backtrack. Say, well, no, 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 that was actually just my opinion. I don't actually have intel. Somebody says, well, this kid's going to flip to this school. And then as he gets challenged on it, well, I don't have intel on it. I'm just giving my opinion. Well, you reported that like intel. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. And and um, we're just we're just not going to do that. So if that's what you're looking for, well, I'm not going to say that. You're here because you know that's not who we are. And that's why we've grown the way that we have. In a recession, We've grown because we people trust us and we appreciate that very much because we know right now times are tough and there are other things people could spend their money on. And the fact that we've had over a hundred people sign up in the last few days is um, quite an honor and something we don't take for granted because we do know how tough it can be for some people right now. So we do appreciate that. For sure. Skyler Indy says, Brian and Ryan, why does the big 10 struggle for quarterbacks? You have Stroud and what else? You know what's interesting, Ryan, is that's a that's a it's kind of an interesting point because mm. the Big Ten hasn't really produced a ton of great quarterbacks lately. Ohio State's had some, but you know, Penn State used to be a school that would produce a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, going all the way back and uh, to I mean they produced some legendary players and and even coming up into the nineties with Kerry Collins and and but they haven't produced it in a while. Yep. You look at the Big Ten now, like you're, we're talking about Sean Clifford being key to the Penn State winning, and you're like, you know, Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. Like, honestly, outside of Peyton Thorne, there's not a lot of, you know, Aiden O'Connell's a good player. Yeah, but I'm talking like projecting to like that big time guy. He's not that. He's uh, a system guy. Yeah. You're correct. Yeah. He's a system guy. But like, yeah, it's just one of those things where like, yeah, you're right there. But I would argue that that's also true in the SEC. We haven't seen a ton of great quarterbacks come out of the SEC outside of Alabama with an exception here and there, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, like uh, Joe Burrow coming out of LSU, but outside of Joe Burrow quarterback played LSU has been pretty much hot garbage the last 10 years outside yes. of that one year 
where Joe was a stud. Auburn's been bad too. Auburn's, Auburn's been bad it's ever since Cam Newton, right? And Georgia yeah. hasn't exactly had great court. I mean, steady, nice, solid college players, but mm-hmm. it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, think about who the best quarterbacks in the NFL are right now. It's a guy from Texas, Texas Tech, Tech, guy from Wyoming, Wyoming. guy <laughs> from Louisville, right? True. You know what I mean? Like kid that went to NC State then transferred to Wisconsin because they wanted Mike Glennon to be the quarterback. You know what I mean? Uh, another guy that had to go to Juco first, then to Cal right. afterwards. Right, right. Yeah, and, and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. So yep. it is very interesting to, to when you look at that. Like, I, I don't I don't know why that is. I, I really don't know That's why interesting. that is. interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's any reasoning for it. I mean, it's... Well, I think part of it in recent years in the Big Ten is the Big Ten as a conference has been slow to adopt the modern offensive game opening up and and, if you're a big time quarterback why would you want to go to iowa why would you want to go to wisconsin why would you want you know what i mean like go down the list why would you want to go there if you're a big time Mm -hmm. quarterback i want to go down to lsu and do what joe brady just did or i want to go to alabama and throw for a million yards i want to go play for dan mullen who put dak prep again another one mississippi state has one of the better quarterbacks in the nfl i i think that some schools too have a type and they just stick to it i texted you the other day they got so Auburn got Adrian Posse to to commit, who I like, has a big arm, mm. talented kid for sure. But don't they always seem to just go after the same exact guy? Yeah, it's like, oh, let's get TJ Finley to come here as a transfer. Right. Let's get Joey Gatewood. Like they're trying to recreate this like big body, talented dude, but like it just has not worked out. They're just trying to recruit yeah. the same guy, and they keep making yeah. the same mistake. Big arm over, and over again. Guys that struggle to read defenses consistently. Yes. And then that's who Adrian Posse is right now. Now, in his defense, he's a sophomore, right? Sure. For improvement, but that's who he is right now. I, I like Posse. If right. he's developed, he could be a really good player right. on the college level. But as of right now, this is like, ooh, that's kind of eerily similar to what they right. have done the last 10 years. I mean, Bo Nix, I guess, was a little bit of a different type of player, but like he wasn't developed properly, obviously, either. So. Mm-hmm. MT41, Tyler Buckner doesn't have to be elite for this offense for this to be a good offense. This is a statement. But if he is elite, this can be one of the best offenses in the country. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow, Ryan, but I want to tease that a little bit tomorrow. But I think MT41 is spot on. Tyler Buckner, at the end of the day, if the strengths we talked about today are strengths, this is going to be a really good offense. One that can go out and, you know, control the clock and if the defense plays well enough you can beat ohio state you can beat clemson you can beat those teams margin for error though is still going to be thin in those big games if tyler buckner is a really good player i don't even think elite if he's just really good i think this can be a top five to seven offense this year i really do inefficiency and explosiveness yeah. and winning games. It's never, they're not going to be a 48 point offense. That's just not who they are schematically or as a team or the schedule's not conducive to that. There's a lot of reasons they're not going to be that, but I don't care. I care about right. can you go score more points than Clemson? Can you go score more points on Ohio State when you play them? Can you score more points in Alabama when you play them? Uh, to me, that's more of the, the bigger key for me. 100%. I mean, it is. You need everything around you to hit your ceiling, but the quarterback is the the ultimate unlock to what how good you can be, right? So I agree with complete MC41. I think that this can be a good offense if Tyler is just a good, solid player. But if he is a 
superstar or close to that, then we're talking about this being an elite level offense. I agree completely to that sentiment. Milton fan 15. He says, uh, Brian, hypothetically, how does the team look transverse talent development? If Freeman took over four years ago, the reality is, is that four years ago, Marcus Freeman was not the coach he is today. I think timing 30, 32 year old. He had not been at, he had been what one year in at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. If that, right, so it had been 21, 20, 19, 18. So he'd have been coming off the 17 season, which I believe was his first at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And he would not have the reputation he has now. He would not have the experience he has now. And, and, and he would not have been successful. I Look, I am a firm believer in, like, for example, if Lane Kiffin were to have taken over the USC job instead of Lincoln Riley, he would have been far more successful this time than he was last time. Now, when he was hired last time, he was a much bigger name than he is now. Where now he's he's a guy that's respected in coaching circles, but he's kind of like a, a character almost. The lane train and all the stuff that comes around it. But he's a much better football coach now. Whereas then he was this offensive genius and all these other kind of things who was the head coach of the Raiders when he was 13. You know what I mean? Being hyperbolic, he was very young. But it's like he had this reputation as this brilliant mind but he wasn't ready to be a head coach yet and he failed. I think he'd be more successful this time than he would have last time because he's more experienced. And I think that Marcus Freeman is in a similar situation where I don't think he would have been prepared then. Now he probably, he probably differs. Like when I look back and, and, you know, I, I think I applied for my first head coaching job when I was 24 and I was pissed when they didn't hire me. I'm looking back. I'm like, I am so glad they didn't hire me because I would have failed miserably because I didn't know how much I didn't know when I was 24. Right. And so, you know, it just it's it worked out the right way. It worked Mm -hmm. out well. He was able to establish his reputation at Cincinnati. I mean, all the guys that they put in the NFL this year, those guys didn't start being good this year. They were pretty good last year when they took George down to the wire. And Marcus Freeman had a big role in that. People see that. And, and he's more mature as a coach. And I don't mean mature like, you know, attitude-wise, but just mature from an experiential standpoint. He's learned things. I mean, coaching under Luke Fickle has helped him develop, just like being under Jim Tressel did and being under, you know, uh, Daryl Hazel has taught him things right and wrong. Those are all part of your evolution as a coach. And that would have been too young for him to be the head coach in Notre Dame. Like, I think – He's about as the bottom of what I would say is is enough experience to be qualified to coach Notre Dame. And he was able to be my pick because he makes up for none of the areas. But if he was a couple years less, like if Brian Kelly would have left after 2019, even, I'm not hiring Marcus Freeman as a defensive coordinator. He hasn't shown me anything yet, right? Like, yeah, he's a good recruiter, whatever. He's got to show me a whole lot more. You needed that 2020 season where he, you know, that defense fueled a run to the what was it the Peach Bowl or the Sugar Bowl? Peach Bowl? It was the Peach Bowl against Georgia. I can't, I can't remember. You needed that team, that mm-hmm. undefeated COVID team, to help him learn and build up his reputation to where he then was the hottest name on the market for D coordinators that Notre Dame went and beat LSU for. So I understand where you're coming from. Now, and the reason we took that angle is because we can't retroactively take this version of Marcus Freeman. Last I checked, we can't, we still, we can't time travel as, as far as I know. So we can't take this version of Marcus Freeman and what he knows and, and, and go back four years, right? You'd have to take him as he was. And I just don't think he would have been ready for it. And here's the other thing. Notre Dame wouldn't have been the program that he's selling now. 
Mm-hmm. He's selling a team that's gone minimum 10 and three or better the last five years. Four years ago, they're coming off of a 1-10-3 season. They're still, what, two years removed from a 4-8 year? They don't have the reputation that they have now as a program. That has helped. We can't deny that. It's not like Marcus Freeman is selling a team that went 8-5 last year and they're the number one recruiting class in the country. right? They're coming off a team that was a, a game away from going to the playoff last year who was in the playoff the year before that and was in the playoff two years before that. All of that's off the resume if Marcus Freeman's hired four years ago. And so, no, I don't think it would have been as effective. It would have been bad timing. I don't think he would have succeeded. And then Notre Dame would be going through another coaching surge. I think he came at the right time. And, yeah, we had to suffer through some frustrating bad games and all that. But Notre Dame also won a lot of games last four years. I don't give as much credit to the head coach as some others, but they still won a lot of games. And it was a whole lot more fun to watch than watching them go eight and five back in the early part of this de- the last decade. So uh, that's my stance. Here's an interesting one from John A1, Ryan. Can Braden Lindsay be for Notre Dame what Ted Ginn Jr. was for Ohio State in 2005? Man, Ted Ginn was a good player at Ohio mm-hmm. State, man. He was dynamic. I I get the comparison, John, because you're talking about a kid that can create incredibly game-breaking type of plays and big opportune moments, right? Like, that's what I think with Ted Ginn. But I, I just – I think that's a little too much, if I'm being completely honest. Like, Ted Ginn could just flip a game, man, instantly. And as a punt returner, as a wide receiver – so I think it's I, I think it's a little too much, but I think that Brady Lindsay can have a similar effect. I just I right. just can't get quite to that level. The reason I can't get to that level is because of the the other part that you mentioned, the, the return stuff. Yeah. I mean, Ted Ginn had six punt returns for touchdowns in college. That's silly, he had man. Two kick return. He had eight special teams touchdowns. Did he only play three years or was he a four year player? Three, three years. Three, three years. years. That's crazy. Yep. That's crazy. And, and Braden Lindsay's just not going to do that. Like, no one, no one at Notre Dame is going to do that. You know, it's like Devin Hester. Devin, H- some guys are just special at it, right? And Ted Ginn was a special returner. However, as just a wide receiver, I actually do think he can have a similar impact. I do because of the type of offense. I mean, like, here's the thing: this was Ted Ginn's numbers in 05 when they played Notre Dame: 51 catches for 803 yards and four touchdowns. 12 carries for 83 yards and one touchdown. 63 plays from scrimmage, 886 yards, 14 1.1 yards per, per play, five touchdowns. The next year, 59 catches for 781 yards, 3.2 per catch, nine touchdowns, three carries, 17 yards, 62 plays from scrimmage, 798 yards, 12.9 per catch, and nine touchdowns. I would say I don't think Braden's going to have the volume of a catch standpoint, but I will not be shocked at all if Braden Lindsay has a similar yardage production. That is what Ted Ginn had. Uh, so part of it's different offenses, right? That that's part of it. But the other thing is, Ted Ginn was 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 a good receiver, but he was not a great receiver. Ted yeah. Ginn was a great return man who could occasionally rip off big plays in, as an, as a skill player as well. But I actually think just purely on offense, I do think Brayden Lindsay can have a similar impact. Now, I would say the guy that would be more comparable to those numbers would be Lorenzo Styles especially like the nine touchdowns and that kind of thing. But, you know, like Ted Ginn, his production in the run game, I mean, Braden Lindsay's already topped that. I mean, his most yards rushing, he had 213 yards rushing for his career as a runner. I'm pretty sure Braden Lindsay's already smoked that. And he came close to smoking that in just one season, if if I'm correct. Yeah, Braden Lindsay had 200 – yes – 
200 yards rushing in 2019. He had uh, eight yards rushing last year, and he had – or two years ago, 69 last year. So he's already, in three years, had more rushing yards than Ted Ginn has. So my, my point is he he's already doing more in that regard. Can he become the dependable every-down player that Ted Ginn was? Because Ted Ginn could do some of the little things as, a little bit as a receiver too. I never thought Ted Ginn was a great wide receiver. I thought Ted Ginn was a great, great return man. Like, if I think in the last 20 years – and I'm thinking of our last 30 years, and I'm thinking like the five best return men in, in college football, the three that immediately always pop into my head that will always be there is Rocket, Devin Hester, and Ted Ginn. Just as like special, like game-changing, wow, we're not going to see a guy like that for a while, guys. The, Those three dis- pop in my head. The disrespect to Ryan Switzer is ridiculous on this podcast, man. Absolutely. I mean, it is what it is, man. You know, go look at his numbers, yeah. sir. No, I, I, I said, the, who pops kidding. in my head? Those three guys yeah. pop in my head. I know. I, just, I, was just, I was just kidding and, anyway. You know, like Ted Ginn getting hurt in that Florida game, that changed the momentum of that game because what happened on the first play of that game? I mean, Florida went on to steamroll him, but I mean, Ted Ginn took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown mm. in the national championship game. Yep. And then he heard it when he heard his foot celebrating, right? Something like and that. And you yeah. took that weapon out of that offense against Florida, you were not going to be the same offense. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if Florida, I mean, I think Florida probably still wins because Ohio State just couldn't stop Florida's offense that day. That was a good Florida team. Yeah, it was, really it good was. Team. very good defense. Very mm-hmm. good defense of Florida. That was still and, Brandon Spikes and all those right. dudes, right? Yeah. yeah they and that's why team. they needed Ted Ginn on offense, is because they needed that vertical weapon. And once he was out, they just they didn't have answers for Florida that year. Yep. Sean Kelly says, who do you think is 99 overall in college football this upcoming season? So we're talking about like college football. Yeah. Well, first of all, is there anybody at Notre Dame that you would give a 99 to? Michael Mayer be in the conversation. What would Foskey's grade be? 97? He'd be like, yeah, like 95 to 97, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you give 99s to? Would you give them to the two quarterbacks that are coming back that are high? Would you Stroud and Bryce Young? Mm, they'd be close. I would consider it. I I would give one to Michael Mayer, probably. I think Will Anderson's a 99. Like, that's an easy sure. one. He might he might be 100. We might break the scale on Will Anderson, if we're being completely honest. Um, if we haven't <laughs> already broken the scale for Dominican Sue and Julius Peppers and guys like that, oh, we we're could, not breaking I'm going, I, I'm going, I, I'm going oh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame voter attitude here. If we didn't do mm-hmm. it for those guys, we're not doing it for Will Anderson. So the other names that pop in my head is Jalen Carter. Is he a 99? Mm-hmm. It's close. If not, he's like a 97. I'd put him at 98, 97, yeah, just because he is yeah. going to have more. He's not going to have quite the protection he had last year, you know, I want to mm-hmm. see. And yeah. and as dominant as he was, to me, to be a 99, Ryan, I think part yeah. of it, too, is you've got to have production. That's fair. And he had eight and a half tackles that. for loss and three sacks last year. Like, great player, but, you know, you compare that. I mean, he had as many sacks as Riley Mills did last year. That's fair. So, uh, that would be the reason why uh, he'd be he'd be sub-99 for me. B. John Robinson? Go with 99? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, they'd have one, two right? guys two guys in the, in the mid to high 90s for me. I'd put Xavier Worthy in there, too. I'd put him at, like, 95, 96 as well. Yeah, Bijan would be That's up there nice. for me. Yeah, no wide, re- 
No wide receivers. I'm okay if you want to put either of the quarterbacks in there. It will be a close yeah. conversation for me. I would just because the production. I mean, that, that one yeah. guy's a defending Heisman Trophy winner who threw for 4,800 yards. I mean, that's yeah, that's pretty good. I'd, I'd probably have a pretty high grade on Skaronsky from Northwestern, but he wouldn't be a 99. He would right. be like a 96 or something. I don't know Maybe if there's an offensive player. lineman that would be a 99. Would there be for you? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I mean, otherwise, defensive line wise, Miles Murphy would be close ish. He'd be like a 95, 96 as well. Bruce he'd probably be in the same ballpark, but like neither one of those guys. I don't think there's a linebacker. I mean, again, Trenton Simpson would be like a mid 90s type of dude. Like he's that, I think he's that good, but I don't think he would be there either. No corners. Safety? No, probably not. So yeah, we'll go with uh, my, my 99s would be. Yeah. Bijan, right around there, I would give him a 99. Michael Mayer, Will Anderson, and you could argue with me about one of the quarterbacks, and I'd be fine yeah. with that. I would put both of the quarterbacks there just because production. Uh, and, right. and in those games, quarterbacks always got higher rankings in those game, great games too, if we're being realistic about what the games were like. But yeah, I would have – I would have. here's the players in the for Notre Dame I'd have in the 90s. Okay. I would have – Michael Mayer in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Now, I would have Blake Fisher and Joe Walton in the high 80s. Because remember back then, like younger players in the high 80s, as the season would go on, they would, they would yeah. see their you they know their, their thing go up. I'd, I'd start yep. them in the high 80s. They'd be 90s pretty early on. Uh, Mayer, I, I think I said, I would, have, uh, I would have Isaiah Foskey mid to high 90s. I would have Cam Hart in the low 90s. And I would have Brandon Joseph in the mid to high nineties as well. Where would you have? Well. Uh, where would you have Jason Adamalola? High eighties, like 88, 89. Again, for the so same reason I said about Jalen Carter, I got to be consistent. The production, production. hasn't mm-hmm. been there, and so I'd probably go high eighties. I, I, I'd consider having Jason in the in, in like ninety ninety one. I'd definitely consider like if you were to tell me that, I would probably not argue with you on that because I'm trying That's to be fair. a little bit. I got to have Lorenzo in the high eighties. Lorenzo Styles in the high 80s. There'd be a lot of guys in the mid to high 80s, in my opinion. But as far as the 90s, like the just the elite players, those would be the ones I'd have there. Like Maris Lewis, I'd be another one that if if the if the injury wasn't there, he'd probably. I mean, he's a guy that you, know, you look at as because that's what I loved about the later versions of the game is like you guys could get better during the season, you know, like mm-hmm. if they were performing well. And so like Maris would be that guy that would quickly go way up because remember they had the injury one. Like, mm-hmm. And so that, like that would, that grade would grow up, which would then bump his whole, his overall grade up. So he'd be a guy that I would say there, but I, I, I think that, he, I think Jason, I the more I think about it, just because the experience that he's played so much would, would at least be a 90. Now that I think 90. about it, uh, as far as how much higher that would depend on the production. Same thing with, like I said, Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter, I can't give a 99 to, cause I just need to see more production. Oh, and Alex Ward, long snapper from central Florida, 99 all day, baby. <laughs> Joe's going to love that one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's no doubt. Nick Papel, thank you for the super chat, Nick. Speaking of multitasking, I appreciate the combo while I am working. Go hashtag go Irish. You are welcome, Nick. You are welcome. And that's kind of what what this is, is it's technically us working, but we're just in there having a conversation, talking ball. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Captain Kelly, Catfish Kelly's Dirty Plunger. These names, Captain Catfish Kelly's Dirty Plunger asked Brian and Ryan, "Who is your favorite Irish coach of all time? Not head coach, coach, not head coach." Mm, that's that's interesting because I was like in my mind, I'm like, it's 
Marcus Freeman right. <laughs> right. landslide, but non head coach. That's a fun question and the one that I'm racking my brain around a little bit. I like Coach He Stand. Maybe that might be my pick. Like I great reputation. I like how he coaches also. I always responded very well to coaches that were very hard on you. I did not like coaches that told you that you were the best all the time. Like I hated that. I wanted a guy that would be a hundred percent honest with me. So I'm gonna go with Coach He Stand. He's a he's he's a real coach that I typically like. You know, it's kind of funny. As a linebacker, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. I hated coaches that yelled at me. And not because I didn't mind getting yelled at. Because, like, I'd take yelling, like, why did you throw hit that linebacker in the chest? Yeah, it was stupid. You can yell at me. I deserve that one. But I was always like, dude, just how about you explain to me what I did first? Because, yeah. like, every coach I ever had that yelled would just yell. It was, There was no, like, teaching involved. And I, I hated mm. that. I absolutely hated that. So, like, just tell me what I did wrong. You know what I mean? Like, what did I miss? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't drop out. Hey, I think I'm gonna hit this linebacker right in the chest. That's gonna be fun, isn't it? Yeah, I, I didn't like that, but I kind of feel like it's position dependent. Yeah. And, and so, like, I would yell at my receivers more than I would yell at a quarterback because I just had this, I, I just kind of had this mentality of with a quarterback, it just has to be a little bit different. Such a mental position. It's a little bit so, of a bias yeah. and it's a perception yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, like I'm not ripping my quarterback because it's like that's how I felt. I was like, dude, you know, like eh, thanks for undermining, you know, what I'm what I'm doing here. But uh, shocker, I didn't like being yelled at. So yeah, I didn't actually I didn't mind because I didn't mind in baseball. I didn't yeah. mind a coach getting on me for in baseball. It was or, or even basketball. It was always in football as quarterback. I just I, I didn't like it. See, I also I did track and field, and no one ever yells at you. So mm-hmm. like, you know, that was the only time I was going to get yelled at was on a football field. So it's mm-hmm. all good. Did you have an answer for this one or no? No one. Um, well, I'll just go before I started covering the team because I think that was fair. Maybe be a little bit unfair for me to say. Uh, and and there was one time I listed like my favorite coaches, mm-hmm. and one of the coaches I didn't list like immediately DM'd me after the show like, "Hey, wait a minute, you're not listing me on your face." It's <laughs> like, come on, man! Like, how was honorable mention? What yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so I just forgot, man. It was like for the moment question. He's like, "I see how it is." Uh, and he wasn't even at Notre Dame anymore, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, pre me covering the team, I mean, my honestly, up until the last seven or eight years, I mean, Urban Meyer was one. He was a great receivers coach at Notre Dame. I really liked him. But sure I mean, was. it's Barry Alvarez is is probably mine. If I'm going to go one. assistant coaches. Uh, yeah. You know, I wasn't familiar with Joe Moore when I was younger. Like offensive line play wasn't like really in my wheelhouse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but Barry Alvarez, I always had a great deal of respect for brought Notre Dame a championship and then went to Wisconsin and just did a great job at Wisconsin. But those are probably the ones that, that I, that, you know, as I, as I think about it are probably the ones that, uh, that kind of pop out and stick out the most is Barry Alvarez and, uh, Urban Meyer. Cause people forget Urban Meyer was a, a receivers coach at Notre Dame for a number of years. Yeah. In the Davy era. So uh, he was, a, he was a good coach before, yeah. you know, he yeah. became a bad, he's still, a, he's still a legendary hall of fame coach he just for sure not a legendary not hall a of fame person. human being yeah he's not a good person that's all <laughs> yeah. it is yeah there's a lot exactly. of good coaches that are not good people i mean let's right. be honest about that right yeah right yep he uh and he would definitely fit that mold there is no doubt no doubt all right we've got another question from uh connor fitch if tyler buckner meets your expectations does he push for the heisman I think you no. answered this. You kind of answered this earlier, Ryan, in that yeah. 
the expectation for what he'll be next year is going to be different than the expectation this year. Doesn't mean we're like he's we're okay right. if he throws for you know doesn't play well. No, it's just I don't expect him to be this year what he will be next year. And also next year we won't have already established guys like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud taking up a lot of the oxygen. In my mm-hmm. in my point, their numbers are just going to be yeah. so absurdly better than Tyler's. And I don't know if Notre Dame will use him as much as a runner this year as maybe they might next year when he proves that he can split. That I could be wrong on that. That's just mm-hmm. a, a guess that I have, a thought that I have about that. Yeah, I, I think more very good in 2022. And then if he takes the next step, then he's a Heisman contender in 2023. Like that's the that's the trajectory yeah. that I personally see. Right. Right. Yeah, I think so. I, it, that's that's hard to expect a guy to just come it, into his first year as a starter. I mean, it's happened. Yeah. But like, it's still. Right. I mean, last year's Heisman fun. Trophy winner was a redshirt freshman, and we, Tyler has more production for it, him. We've seen it more and more recently. Like, right. I think of like Manziel and Jameis Winston, and like, it's happened, but like, still, it's a tough thing to expect. Right. It, it is. It is. All right, let's get to more questions. Brandon Plensner says, B. Ryan, Clemson had an exceptional DB class last year. Do you think any of those freshman DBs will start this year? Tell you what, a guy that I thought would have had a shot to start last year was the kid, that Dalen Everett, who ended up going to, like, I think Georgia. I think he ended Mm -hmm. up flipping to Georgia, I think. He was a guy that I thought, man, you're talking about, I don't know if you ever saw him, Ryan, but he was a kid that was from the Virginia Beach area, like the Southern Virginia area, and they ended up going to IMG. And I think he flipped to Georgia, but man, he had incredible ball skills. He was very long. You know, I I don't know if any of those guys are start because they lost a couple guys late. I think Toriano Pride could maybe be a guy that sticks as a nickel. Uh, I really liked Toriano. Notre Dame tried to recruit him. He just didn't really have any interest in Notre Dame. Not enough to really, really strongly consider them. Uh, he's a guy that's you know quick, athletic, got some strength to him. He's a little bit, he's a little bit thin. He's listed at one eighty three. Doesn't play that quite that strong but he could be a guy that could be a nickel you know Sherrod Colville is more of an uh, of an alley player right now and and maybe he could crack that lineup I don't I don't think they have bad talent at safety at, in the secondary it's just so I think it'll be hard for some of the freshmen to necessarily come in and start yeah but I but I don't think that like they're my point is they don't have like the talent they had like in 18 when they had like AJ yeah. Terrell and you know Trayvon McMullen on the opposite sides that's that's the difference they, for me they, they do, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong about that. It's definitely not the mo- the most talented secondary that we've seen at Clemson over the last few years. I will say that they do have players that have played, though. I mean, right. Sheridan Jones is a guy that has split right. a lot of reps two years ago with Andrew Booth Jr. Andrew McCuba is actually a pretty good safety that they have there that played a lot. I know Malcolm Green has played as the nickel there, too. So I think there's going to be opportunities for freshmen. But I, and again, it's not as talented a room as it typically is, but. They don't usually just have freshmen at defensive back that just come in because Clemson has done a pretty good job of kind of like cycling in some really good talent. I mean, even AJ Terrell didn't really break out of Clemson until he was a sophomore, right? Like he wasn't even a freshman and some of those guys. So I I think it's probably more a a veteran laden team that can have some freshmen mixing in. And I think Dabo's always preferred that when he had it. Right. Dabo's never been afraid to play young guys. But those young guys were always significantly better than the young than the older guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's he, defensively, especially, they've always preferred older guys. Yeah, uh, which is you know because again, if a receiver runs a wrong route on offense, yeah, it stinks. 
but the quarterback can throw to somebody else. If you blow a coverage on defense, it's a touchdown. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think that's a that's a reason why some coaches are, are sometimes unwilling to to play a younger a younger guy. In that I, I I feel like they always have a late breakout in the secondary too. A type of player like I forget what the guy kid's name was last year that ended up getting drafted number thirty one. He was the corner opposite Andrew Booth, but like mm-hmm. he was a fifth year senior. No, not Darren Kendrick. He transferred to. Oh, Georgia. Mario Goodrich. Mario Goodrich. Yeah. Ha- like barely played his first four right. years, and then all of a sudden he's a starter his fifth year and gets drafted. Had a huge know, like- pick six in the in the bowl game against Iowa State too. Did he take yeah. that back all the way to the house? I thought he I, did. I think he may have. Yeah, he, may I thought have. he, he did. Had a, he had a good yeah. season. He was. Oh yeah. He was a more consistent player last year than Andrew Booth, but Andrew Booth's very st- steady skill set You're right. is just insane. Very, yeah, very steady player. Now he benefited from the ACC. He wasn't filled with a bunch of great receivers last year either. But even sure. against some of the more high potent offenses, he he stepped up and played well. BC, mm-hmm. you know, against Wake Forest, I thought he he, he played well. So, yeah, he, he's a he's a good football player. He's a good football player. Let's get the last couple here before we get out of here. Jay Henry says, what's a good number of Chris Tyree receptions this year? 25 is the number that he kind of gives. A, a, a number in the 30s popped into my head. Mm-hmm. I, I think so I'm thinking like three-plus receptions a game would be a good number, right? So if we're playing 12 football games, three receptions a game, I'm going to say 36-plus is the number mm-hmm. for me because I think that it's going to be important – to get Chris Tyree matched up on some linebackers and some safeties and do all that type of stuff. So I'll say 36 because I think three a game is a good number. So the running backs last year caught 72 passes. Mm -hmm. Kyron caught 42. Chris Tyree caught 24. So even last year in a limited, more limited role. 24 last year? Yeah, we had six in the last game. But he still had 18 going into the last game. Uh, You know, he caught – and, and, and a lot of those came early in the year before the foot injury really took over. He had, he had 10 catches in the first three games. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see a lot of that, especially with Tyler Buckner at quarterback. So I think he'll, I think 30, I think 35, if I was setting an over under, it'd be 35. And the reason I say that is, is because, I mean, Kyron caught 42 and, and mm-hmm. I thought about making the over under 40. But because I, I could actually see him being used even more in the pass game than Kyron, because two reasons. Number one, Kyron get, would get more touches in the run game. You didn't need to you didn't need to protect him in the run game because Kyron was so stout compared to Chris, you know, and his game was different. Number two, you wanted to keep Kyron in in the backfield because he was such a great pass play guy. With Chris, not that he's not a good pass play pass pro guy, excuse me, but I want to get him out in space. Like, like if you're going to blitz us, okay, cool. We're just going to throw a swing route to Tyree or sneak him behind you and just hit him in space. And then you're going to think twice about bringing that. Like how many times do we see Oklahoma bring that all out blitz again when, you know, and that was one of their key blitzes. And and what I loved about that play is Notre Dame checked to that mm-hmm. when, cause you saw when they walked that blitz up and they talked about this afterwards, how they knew that was coming because of the game prep, they switched the running back over. And he did a free release and just turned right behind the defense. They brought the all-out blitz, and he just dumped it over to him. And you get Chris Tyree in space, there's nobody catching him. And so it just it's just different type of usage. So I, as long as he's healthy, I, I think 35 is where I'd set the over-under, but I'm feeling like I might be going a little low on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 The fact that I you just so. – and, again, I know you said there were six in the bowl game, but the fact that he had 24 last year right. and he was a little banged up at points. like he didn't play a ton. Right. 40 plus would be probably where I'm at. Then. Right. Yeah. 
Right. And I think Logan Diggs is going to catch a, a decent amount of balls. I think Audrey will catch some, but I think Chris will, you know, I, I think he'll get a decent amount. Uh, Brandon talked about Jaden Lucas. I like Jaden Lucas. I just don't know if, like, the reason I brought up Toriano Pride, Brandon, is because I think Toriano fits the slot position a little bit better. Now, I think Jaden could play that as well. I think Jaden Lucas could play that as well, but I just, I don't know if he's to the level where he's just going to push veteran players out of the starting lineup. That would be my thing. So the reason I brought up Toriano is because he could end up being a starter in a nickel package because the question was about, will they start? And Jaden Lucas is going to play. Will he start? That's a little bit of a different question. Here's an interesting question, uh, Ryan. Which player has the highlight play of the season? I, I hope you got to make a prediction. Buckner. I hope it's Tyler Buckner. Okay, I mean, that's where I was going to go. He's yeah. going to have some insane, like, go one way, cut back the other way, and either Bend run or throw it <laughs> over the top, something like that. Like, he'll make some insane play. It'll be yeah. one of three people, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It'll be it'll be that. Mm-hmm. It'll be Isaiah Foskey making some game-changing strip sacks. I was like, what's the one play that you're going to see every time you watch a highlight of the Panthers-Broncos Super Bowl? It's going to be Von Miller strip sacking yeah. Cam, uh, Cam Newton. To that, I'm talking about the first one that Malik Jackson recovered in the end zone for touchdown, not the late mm-hmm. one when Cam mm-hmm. made the business decision not to, you know, go recover that fumble in the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it'll be one of those two, or it'll be something like Michael Mayer pulling like an Irv Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, like remember that play from Irv Smith against was it Purdue back in the, or Indiana back in the day where he like dragged like eight guys into the end zone. I think it'll be something like that. Like when I think of play of the year uh, and Brandon just said a 90 yard TD run by Chris Tyree, I could see that, but like just a straight 90 yard run isn't necessarily a play of the year to me with the exception of if it's, if it's like against Ohio state Clemson or USC, Mm -hmm. if he does that in one of those games that are competitive and it just kind of maybe breaks the game open or wins you the game, then it becomes a play of the year. Cause to me, play of the year is one of two things. One, it's this crazy play right, where a guy cuts the field or does some crazy stiff arm or something like that, Uh, or it's a money play. And that's why I was going to Foskey, you know, and Mayer and and Buckner were sort of the crazy, like you always remember, like what's the one run everybody remembers from Reggie Brooks in his career? He had so many phenomenal runs. It's the one where he basically scored unconscious. Remember the play Mm. against Michigan where he got hit and then he it's some crazy play. What do you remember about Ray Zellers? It's him running the dude over from Purdue and and carrying dudes from Purdue. Same thing with, Irv, excuse me, Irv Smith. It'll be it's some crazy play on offense or it's a huge money play on defense, and that's how I look at it. You know, you know the play that just popped in my head. Have you ever seen the old clip of John Mackey when he was with the Colts and he ran? He like eight guys mm-hmm. were on his back and he's like mm-hmm. still driving that. You need to look that mm-hmm. up. It was one of the craziest yeah. things I've ever seen. Or like yeah, I looked that up. Campbell, the Earl Campbell yeah. headbutt was a good one against the Rams. Yeah. There's some. I'll say this. Us defensively, because I didn't even think about defense, I might pick Brandon Joseph with some insane one-handed interception. Like, remember the one he had against mm-hmm. Ohio State, State two yeah. years ago? Like, that was insane, man. Incredible catch. Yeah. I think if it's going to be a DB, it's going to be somebody we're not expecting. Think so? Yeah, it'll or be like uh, Clarence Lewis would have picked six for the win or something. Like, think about this. The, the 88 season that they won a title. There's two plays we remember. Todd Light was hands down their best defensive back, but we don't remember Todd Light's plays. We remember two. We remember Pat Terrell's 
breakup in Miami. But what's the other one? Stance Magal is in her pick six against Ronnie Pete. That's the, that's the other one we remember. It's always the guy that you challenge more in that big sure. moment. So it'd be like Clarence Lewis or Tariq Bracey or somebody, you know, Ramon Henderson, Xavier Watts, somebody like that, making a, making a big play. So I think it, it, I think it'll be kind of something like, it'll be something like that. So I, I, those are the fun things to kind of think about. Like what is like, remember like 2017, like all the great plays that Julian loved that made that year. I still contend that the biggest play that a defensive player made that year was when Sean Crawford knocked the ball out of the running back's hands right before the goal line, because it was, I believe the score at the time, I believe was 14 to seven. I'm going to, I'm going to look this up because I believe on that particular drive that, that it was 14 to seven. Let me, let me look this up here real quick. I, I'm, I believe I'm correct on this because remember Wimbush started the game off with a great drive going right down the field, hit EQ on a post route. Uh, and then he runs in, I think on a quarterback draw, then on Michigan state's first drive, uh, they had a pick six. Then they went down and scored, and no, it was 21-7. It was 21-7, but Michigan State was getting ready to score uh, with, like, you know, second quarter, like to where it was It was a competitive game. And it was L.J. Scott, and he's getting ready to score, and Sean Crawford comes in and punches the ball out, then recovers it. Notre Dame goes 80 yards that next drive. And instead of it being a 21-14 game, it's 28-7 going into halftime. Game over. Sparty fans are falling out. That's the same exact type of scenario that we saw last year with Oklahoma State, where you're up big, you know, the other team goes down to scores, and you either make a stop and then you roll them or you let them get back in the game. That would have been more so because it would have been 21-7. And so, like, it's plays like that that I always remember. Like, those games that, like, really had an impact on – the outcome of a game. And I think it'll be something like that. It wasn't Julian Love, the All-American. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Troy Pride, the speedster. It was Sean Crawford, the nickelback, knocking a ball out. Of, it, you think of 2018, there were some big-time players in 2018, but the, the DB play I always remember is Alohi Gilman ripping the ball out of the, uh, Jared Pinckney's hands, right? I think it was Jared Pinckney. Van, Vanderbilt, right, yeah. right at the goal line against Vanderbilt, the game you won by five. You know, uh, it, it's all it's plays like that that I remember. And and you need those plays to I mean, look, you're going to need those plays to go undefeated, even against some bad teams. You know, you're, you're going to need those stops, and those big plays. So I think it'll be something like that. So that's going to do it, Ryan, for today's show. Great questions, everybody. I know there's some more, but but we got to get rolling. A uh, lot, lot of good stuff. Uh, really appreciate all y'all being a part of the show today. We'll be back tomorrow at one o'clock. We will talk some of the concerns we have and some of the questions that need to be answered about the Notre Dame offense going into fall camp. And then tomorrow night, of course, we'll have a second show. 7.30, we will discuss. We will cover the pending decision by Jay Nalsbury, who is going to make his decision. But we do have a show tonight, 6 o'clock tonight, everybody. Make sure you're listening uh, to the show, 6 o'clock tonight. Uh, the, it is the uh, the Irish IB Nation Sports Talk Show with Sean Styers. And uh, tonight, I believe he will have, uh, I think, uh, Vince, might, I think, will be with him tonight. I'm not 100% certain of that. And so they'll be there tonight. And the question that the topic they're going to discuss tonight is going to be their view on the position battles that are going to be raged in fall camps. You definitely want to check that out as well. So we have that tonight, six o'clock, Monday through Thursday, six o'clock is the IB nation sports talk. Little heads up too. We're going to have a couple Saturday shows from 10 to 12. We're going to have our, we haven't named it yet, but it'll be like our Irish breakdown version of college game day. It'll be on Saturdays from 10 to two. We're actually going to have a couple in the weeks leading up to the season. So we'll have one week zero where we kind of previews the games that day and then that upcoming week. 
And then we'll have one the week before uh, where we will talk about uh, just sort of the Notre Dame predictions and, and season previews. So we'll, we'll, we're going to kind of get your mind ready for that as well. Vince did say I was right. It will be Vince tonight. So Vince said it is me. So everybody, take makes AK's advice. Join the message board. Hit the like button. Hit the sub- subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Leave a five-star review. Visit the Irish Breakdown store to get that B Ryan Polo look. This is in there. I just sent ordered Ryan a uh, the 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 darker one, the Heather gray one. He also has a white one, but he really likes the gray one. And in the hats are in there. All those cool hats. We got this sweet hat i still haven't broke the bill in enough to wear it yet so that's i'm a i gotta get the bill right it just keeps folding back so i gotta spend more time with this one to get that right but uh lots of cool merch there for everybody to check out so anyone have a great anyway have a great rest of your day everybody thank you for joining us on the irish breakdown podcast